The new Code of Conduct for Financial Advisors has finally been approved for the Minister and, and joining me now is Murray Weatherston. Now Murray is an AFA, he's also was the Chairman of CIFA for quite a while and as readers of Good Returns will know he's uh, had a lot to say about the code and the process which has been developed and how it's gone. Welcome Murray, great to have you in the studio. Thanks Phil. So uh, score out of 10 now we've got the code, how do you rate it, what number? Oh, I would, I would think what they've ultimately ended up with has got to be at least an 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10? 8 out of 10. Yeah. Maybe even more. Um, the, the, it's not so much anymore the stuff that they were trying to put in, mm. uh, but I think there's probably a few areas where the code will actually prove to be lacking and where the FMA as the monitor will be you know, anxious to yeah. whack some guidance notes in. So uh, through CIFA, you made a lot of um, submissions and suggestions on the two drafts of the code we had. What was your success rate of getting changes? Oh, I, I reckon we were uh, remarkably successful. Um, I, I've always complained that it's been a waste of time putting in submissions because up until now, on all the things that we've done since mm. 2014, I, I can only see our fingerprint on two changes. Uh, but I reckon two, two changes, in, not only in the code, but on, on anything else. And uh, actually, with respect to the code, I think we're batting, you know, uh, if you use the baseball term, batting out of a thousand, we're batting eight, eight or nine hundred out of the thousand, and I can actually put a tick against most of the things that we said were crazy in the original versions that they came out with, mm. um, and they've all disappeared. Oh well, that's, that's so you you must be pretty happy. So that's right, and and you've seen on on good returns, I actually said they deserve some some applause. Yes, I saw that, and I thought, well, you know, we better put that up and highlight. That's, you know, that's right. <laughs> the um. In, 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 the, in the code, you know, one of the things that they haven't covered off is, is replacement business. And, and I'm interested in asking you this question as a director of New Park and, and someone, you know, a, a, an organisation which is very uh, big in that space. What do you think they should have done in replacement business? Well, replacement business is actually an elephant in the room. Uh, you know, it, it underlines the churn report. Mm. Um, there's lots of anecdotal stuff that the the banks, um, when their people do insurance, they don't even take it into account whether or not the person that they're, um, their, their customer uh, actually has insurance anywhere else. They just completely ignore it and they whack in um, new uh, product, which unsurprisingly happens to be the bank's product. So, so that should have been in the code? I think, I think it should be in the code. I think there's actually, uh, there should have been an obligation in the code where somebody was advising on replacement of life and health business, right? Mm. Um, they're different than uh, fire in general. Fire in general is annual contracts that the, yes. the company can actually cancel, but life and health, which are continuing businesses. I think this should actually be, have been in the code a requirement that where you were recommending, where the client had an existing policy, yeah. uh, the advisor should actually have to say whether or not they were advising on the, on the other policy mm -hmm. and then um, where if they weren't, that had to be pretty clear. And I, we actually submitted from CIFA that in fact the FMA should put out a public guide mm. for why you should not, you know, change your insurances in in those things. You know, all the things that could go wrong, and there should be an obligation on the advisor to actually explain the differences between the policy you've got and the policy that they're proposing that you get. Yeah. So, so you would have liked to have seen that in the I'd code. Definitely so, like so that, to have seen that's that. a bigger mission. Um, CPD was a, a, another issue which a lot of people criticised. Yeah. Well, so the, the CPD thing is actually quite interesting because um, it's open-ended. Basically, it just says you have to have a plan. 
Yeah. And if I give, I'll give an example of yeah. what I might do. Mm. Um, I might say, look, we've just been through, because the two things you have to talk about are your, uh, are your um, competence, mm. knowledge and skill mm. on the one hand and the regulations on the other. And I might say, I, I might draw up my plan and say, we've just been through five years of reform. Right? I've been pretty involved all the way through. I don't think I need to do any CPD on that mm. in the next year. Equally on knowledge, competence, and skill, there actually aren't very many changes in you know like the academia of financial advising and all the rest. Of it. So why do I need to do anything? And let me just say, I might, in the extreme, you'd say, well, I don't need to do anything. But in order to keep the regulators happy, you'd say, well, I'll, I'll do this year. I'll do two hours on some part of ethics, for example, mm. and that will be my plan. Mm, mm. Now, the problem that will come is when the monitor comes in to monitor my CPD plan, we will have an argument about whether my CPD was appropriate or not. Mm. And we, our view was always that the AFA code had it right. Yeah. Basically, you were in charge mm. of your own CPD. Mm. There were, it had to be within your plan. It had to be delivered by the expert. Right? And, and, and you had to record that, it. And you had to record it and all yeah. the rest of it. And you had a minimum of 15 hours or, mm. or 30 hours every two years, yeah. 15 hours a year. Yeah. And our recommendation was that in order to avoid the problems that I think will occur, like me putting in mind that says, mm. you know, two hours on some ethics topic and the monitor thinks I should have been doing other things, there should, be, should have been a safe harbour. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because we're also going to have this issue around recognised prior learning because that's not oh, been, that's right. been outlined as well. I mean, there's going to be buses driven through that, isn't there? Well, I don't know whether there's going to be buses given, driven through it, but there'll be a lot of people who will say, well, well I think there'll be a lot of people who mm. say, I've been in the industry for a long time. And this well, we, we hear days. that all the time. We hear that. Yeah. And I don't need to go and do level five, and it's not appropriate. You know, A lot of the stuff that I have to do actually isn't, involved with what I do in the life and health area and they're going to say I'm going to I've got enough experience the problem is going to be how do you prove and to whom that you have actually got that prior experience or that that uh, prior learning and and so so that's that's do, do you think they sort of backed off this because they thought if they actually put level five and these things in there that people were going to leave the industry and we're going to have a big exodus of advisors? I think that's that's quite possible. Mm. Um, they're trying to be inclusive and they're saying, you know, there's all these different ways you can do it. You can do it. But the problem will be when the rubber hits the road, when the first person actually says, I've got yeah. priority. Now, I know of somebody who's an AFA mm. who actually needed to get an Australian course or something recognised as part of their AFA. Mm. It took them forever. It cost them a lot of money and a lot of time. And at the end, they actually said to me that they would have been better off just doing the course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And, and basically, the, the recognition of prior learning thing, it's there as a possibility, mm. but the proof is going to be how the heck do you do it? And But also, like a lot of these courses and webinars which have been put up there and, you know, to meet the current requirements, I guess they're not going to be so needed now, are they? Well, I, I would imagine the prof some of the professional bodies will, will take the opportunity to set minimum levels of CPD for their people as a guide. So it um, might create an opportunity for, a, for these associations to actually you know, raise the bar? Yeah, well, yeah, but they'll... For their members? For their members, mm. but there'll be lots of people out there who will try to offer CPD and say that, you know, that this counts and all the rest of it. It's, in a sense, you have to have a CPD plan, but what's in it 
at this point in time looks to be completely open yes. until my view, until the FMA comes along and does its guidance note that actually tries to put some parameters around it. Yes, yeah. And the other one which wasn't covered off in, in too much detail was um, conflicts of interest. Conflicts which, of interest. Which, you know, if you look at all these conduct reports and everything else, is, is, is the big topic these days. Absolutely. Well, conflicts of interest gets a mention as part of integrity, as, mm. you know, one line as part of integrity. Mm. Most ethics codes have stuff in them about conflicts of interest. And th they've just left that, you know, completely alone. Yeah. I know you made a comment on God Returns is that um, the FMA will love this because they can now start to write lots of guidance notes and, and, and get out there and take more control of the industry. Is that really what you think will happen? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. They, in, a, in a sense, that the, the, um, the code sort of sits up here. Yeah. But there's a lot of guts down below. And if you, if you sit down and say, if I was monitoring against that code, in a sense, the code is empty. So there's nothing to, to monitor against. I mean, the simple case is that CPD thing. Mm, mm. How do they monitor my two hours on ethics for this year is all I think I need to do. Mm. It's going to be interesting <laughs> to see what happens. Yeah. Now, previously, before when we've talked about this, you were, you've been a bit concerned where it was all going and, and once FSLAB was passed and, and the code was in place, you, you thought that was going to give you the date you left the industry. Is that still the case? Um, I'm uh, seriously reconsidering that. Okay, so, so you, you, you might carry on. Yeah, and yeah. it's because what, what's actually happened is in the code that's come out, they've got rid of all the fluffy stuff, you know, mm. all this overarching stuff that they were trying to put in, um, all the fluffy words which, you know, mean well, but, mm. you know, what does doing the right thing think, mean, yeah. right? Well, I think they recognised early on that that wasn't going to... Well, I don't think they recognised that early on because that was actually in their second draft. Mm, mm. They, they were trying to put an overarcher in the first mm. draft. In the second draft, they had words like, you know, you have to obey the spirit of the code mm, mm. and all the rest of it. And the, the very positive things I see is you know, getting rid of what I'd call the, the sins of commission that they actually had in the, in the earlier reports. They no longer talk about minimum standards. Mm. It's, you, if you note, know, the word is standard. No, okay. Right, and, and minimum standard sort of says, well, this is what you have to do, but there might be something more. Mm. Coming back to the word standard, which was something that we were, you know, strong on, actually means that there's the standard. Jump mm. the hurdle mm. or not. There's not. If so, you jump so the hurdle, that there's another hurdle mm, that mm, maybe mm, you should mm, have done. Mm, and you know, the things like spirits, spirit of the code, and they had that naked statement that they used to, that they had originally in code standard one, or not originally in the in the draft before this one. Mm. Uh, that talked about you had to act, uh, treat the client fairly and act in the client's mm. interest. They had a whole pile of stuff about mm. Mm. acting fairly, which they've kept in, and that, that, that's clearly part of ethics. Um, but they've got rid of the act in the client's interest because mm. they haven't wanted to actually try to explain what it is. So it's all those things that they've taken out, which were the things that you know really worried me. Yes, uh, yeah. means that what they're left with, and you know the reason that I get ten out of ten is because I, th I think. It, one level, the code is actually pretty slim. Mm. It's it's not even two thousand words, but having got rid of all those things all that the I fluffy, thought yeah. I thought were the nasty things, and those are the things that you could get caught up on. You could you, you could, could you completely could, innocently innocently yeah, get, get caught up on. Yeah, yeah. And so, oh, well, that, well, that's good to hear that you might so, hang around because so we might, can have you back in the studio again. That's right. Well, I, I mean, if I, even if I was hanging around, you could still have me back in the yeah. studio. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Murray, and again, I thank you for your time and appreciate um, your insight into the code. So that's great. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, cheers.